just like to welcome everyone who's joining us for our live stream. It's just part of our service here at City Temple. If you'd like to be a part of the whole thing via Zoom, drop us an email at the email address there on your screen, or you can just come down to City Temple and join us Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. If you have your Bible, we're going to look at three places today. Uh, Exodus chapter 33, uh, Psalm 90, and Acts chapter 4. Before we read, let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I pray that today you would speak through your word yet again to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest on me so that I can bring your word faithfully to your people today. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Here in uh, Exodus 33, uh, it's after the, uh, the sin of making the golden calf and Moses is speaking with the Lord uh, and uh, calling out for God in his favor uh, and inter interacting with God. And we pick up the story with verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let yet me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Then we go to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is a psalm attributed to Moses, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. <clears throat> and we'll read the whole thing. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust, and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, 
our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And then finally, to Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 32, reading down to verse 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or households sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, we've been talking these last uh, uh, couple of months, actually, about some of the things that God has been saying to City Temple over the last few years that are particularly coming to fruition here in 2022 and beyond. We're looking for a, a massive shift in things sometime around June or so. Uh, but the things that we've been sharing not only re, uh, apply to us as a church, but also apply to others as well. So uh, you can take those in, although some of the prophetic promises are just there for City Temple. And last week, I began to talk about God's favor. Uh, I talked about God's favor on my own life, uh, which I've known for uh, quite a number of decades now. And I've talked about God's favor upon City Temple. Uh, and God's favor has been upon City Temple. And by God's favor, when we talk about God's favor, it's simply God's mysterious delight and goodwill towards specific individuals and groups for his pleasure and his kingdom purpose. It's, by, it's a function of God's grace and mercy. You don't earn God's favor. You can't get God's favor although you can pray for God's favor, and God will often give his favor in response to that. But throughout history and throughout the scriptures, you can see many examples 
of where God showed favor, his favor on people. He showed his delight and goodwill toward those people. Moses was one of those guys. And you think about Moses, I mean, Moses, he lived in luxury for the first 40 years of his life uh, after being put in a basket, raised by Pharaoh, then killed a man, uh, and then ran away in fear and hid from his destiny for another 40 years in the wilderness. And then God had to come to him in a burning bush. uh, And even then he didn't really want to follow God. And he came up with all these excuses for why he shouldn't go with God or why God shouldn't choose him. He said, well, I I stutter. You know, I'm not very strong. Uh, Maybe get my brother Aaron. You know, he's, he's always, he's the spokesman of the family. He's the one who knows what's going on. Uh, you know, call on one of them, but don't call on me. You know, and God had to say, come on, man, just get with the program here. Now, that's my, you know, translation of the Hebrew of what the Lord said. And, uh, and so Moses didn't deserve God's favor, and yet Moses was a man who certainly had God's favor. And even in the passage that we read today in Exodus 33, you know, Moses kept doubting it. He said, well, you know, if I found your favor, then would you please do this? You know, and God kept saying, you've got my favor, man. I know who you are. I know you by name. And so that's the mystery of God's favor. And I've seen that favor on my life, and I've seen that favor on City Temple. Uh, And uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to talk about how we live out of that favor, what that means for the way that we live our lives. But I want to talk a little bit about what that favor does for us and how that favor establishes us in life. It helps us to put down roots. It helps us to go deep. And that's an important dynamic. Now, it's kind of hard to talk about God's favor in a time when there's war in Ukraine and we see, you know, daily uh, frequent updates about the, the, the horrendous things that are happening there. And we can easily get come to a place uh, where we're mistaken, where we start to think, well, if I've got God's favor, then maybe that means everything goes well for me. If I've got God's favor, then surely that means I'm going to prosper. Surely that means that uh, I'm going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Surely that means only good things are going to happen to me. Uh, but the truth is, The favor of God on your life does not mean the absence of struggle and difficulty. In fact, I can tell you from experience that the favor of God on your life often invites struggling and difficulty. Sometimes it's a bit like patience. Uh, Never pray for patience. I can't remember who I was talking to recently who hadn't learned that lesson. They, were, they had been praying for patience and a lot of bad things were happening. And I said, well, that's what you prayed for. Because God tells us in the scriptures, tribulation or trouble works patience in our lives. You know, and a lot of times, God's favor upon us almost seems to invite trouble and invite difficulty. But actually, when I look at, say, the history of City Temple, I see that favor many, many times over the history of City Temple, and there have been many things that we've gone through as a church that killed bigger churches and 
better churches. And I've seen many things I've gone through in my life that other ministers haven't survived. And it's not because I'm that great, but it's certainly a lot because God's favor is on us. And it's a mystery. It's a mystery, but it is there, and we need to understand what it means, and we need to embrace it for our lives and embrace it for our church because God's favor is essential for us as we go forward. When you have God's favor on your life, it is essential that you understand it and hold on to it, embrace it as you move forward into the will of God for your life. Because God's favor on your life will give you influence and will give you strength and will enable you to make a difference in the lives of other people and the people around you and enable you to bring glory and honor to Jesus, which ultimately for us is the reason we have favor. So Jesus might receive the honor that he's due. And so this next season for City Temple, and certainly this, this next year for us as a church, is a season of God's favor. It's a year of the Lord's favor that we want to live into and we want to embrace. So how do we do that? I think there's four things that come from the text that we've read today that are important for us to embrace in our understanding of God's favor and how God's favor helps establish us as we live our lives as we move forward. The first thing is that there is a confidence. It's the confidence of God's favor. Now, when we know God's favor upon us, we can have a confidence that comes from the Lord. And it's a confidence that's seen there in the text we read about Moses there in, in Exodus 33. And I'm not going to go through it in great detail, but I'll mention some of the verses there and the confidence that Moses could have had, should have had, didn't always have, but it's the same kind of confidence that we could have, perhaps should have, but maybe don't always have. First of all, we see there in verse 12 that God gives us a mission that we can fulfill. God had given Moses a mission there, take his people out. And even though they'd gone through a difficult time, and even though the people were doing some pretty stupid things, like, you know, doing a golden calf, God was saying, hey, Moses, you're going to do this. There's a confidence that the mission he's given us, God's given us, will be fulfilled. Like the mission over City Temple, as we said last week, a mission to help uh, grow oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, and also to raise up the, the ancient ruins and the former devastations. We can have a confidence God's given that, that mission, it's going to be fulfilled. It might take a lot longer than we think, but we have the confidence he can do it. We can have the confidence that God is going to send people with us. You know, God doesn't call lone rangers. God calls people in the context of community. And we can have confidence that God will send people with us even if we don't know who they are. Even if we don't know who they are. One of the things I've learned throughout uh, 
more than 30 years of serving as a, a minister, as a pastor, is that there are a lot of people that I thought would be with me that at the end of the day were not. And there were a lot of people who I thought would never be with me. At the end of the day, they were my most loyal friends. That's the mercy of God. And so we don't always know who those people are, and probably that's a good thing. Because if we knew who those people were, we'd treat them better than the other people. But that's not God's way. But we can have confidence that God's going to send people with us. We can have confidence that God knows us by name. This means that God knows us intimately. Yeah, he knows every person, but he really knows us. And he really likes us. He really delights us. That's what this phrase means. I don't know why he liked Moses so much, but he did. And I'm glad he did. I'm glad, and I don't know why he likes me so much, or you so much, but he does. We can have the confidence that God will show us his ways. But God will show us his ways. Uh, by the way, this is, uh, uh, we're getting into verse 13 here. Uh, God will show us his ways so that we can know God. It's a relational thing. So often we act in a transactional way with God. We say, God, tell me what to do so I can do it and you'll bless me. You know, that's like, Karen, tell me what to do uh, so I can get you to fix me a cake. That's a transaction. I'm treating my, my wife like Greg's the baker, not like my wife. And a lot of Christians live in this transactional reality with, in regard to their relationship with God, and that's not the way it is. God will show us his ways because God wants us to know him. God wants us to have a relationship with him, and he wants it so much that Jesus died on the cross so that every single one of us can have the same kind of relationship with God that Moses had. That's the promise of the gospel. And we have this confidence, especially when the favor of God is upon us. We can have the confidence that God's favor will spread to the people that are around us. I mean, it was the only thing that kept the Jews, at that, or the Hebrews, that worshipped the golden calf from becoming crispy critters. I mean, God was ready to smite them all. And what did Moses do? He said, please, God, don't do that. I'd rather you smite me than smite all these people. I mean, that was pretty big of Moses. I'm not sure I would have prayed that. But uh, I'm just being honest. But, you know, the favor that was on Moses spread to the people around Moses. And we can have confidence of that. We can have confidence, verse 14, now that God's presence goes with us. Yeah, God's present everywhere. We know that. But there's a special dynamic, a special aspect of God's presence when God's favor is on our lives that follows us, that we don't understand all the time, but it's there nonetheless. And God will give us rest. Now, this does not mean that God's going to send us on holiday. 
what it means is that God is going to bring us to a place where we will rest in who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do and find satisfaction there. We will rest in the land, the space that God gives us. And I'm thankful God's done that in my life. You know, as a minister, I'm not looking to build a bigger church. I'm not looking to move to a bigger church. I'm not looking to build my brand or form a ministry or anything. I'm, I'm at rest with who I am in the Lord, the mission and the ministry God's given me, the land in which God has placed me. And I have satisfaction there. That comes through God's favor. That's what we all need and what we all hunger for. Then God sets us apart. Verse 16, when God's favor is on our lives, he's setting us apart for his particular purposes. God has a purpose and a plan for City Temple that is unique. Doesn't make us better than any other church. Doesn't make us worse than any other church. It just makes us different. You know, we used to say the word in the text often was translated peculiar. Lord, make us peculiar. And we'd say that God has a peculiar people and some of us are more peculiar than others. You know, and that's the kind of case it is sometimes. But it's a confidence that God has set us apart to do what God has called us to do. And by the way, that's not always a religiously themed thing. You know, God sets apart his people in business. God sets his part apart his people in the marketplace. God sets his part apart his people in education. God sets apart his people in the arts. And if you're in one of those areas, if you're operating in one of those spheres of life, then do it boldly. Do it boldly. This is not just a religious kind of church-related dynamic, although it's always church-related because no matter where you are, you're church, and you're part of the church. Then verse 19, God shows us his goodness. Don't always see it, but God will pass by and show us his goodness and we can have confidence in all of these things. And we can have confidence in all these things because as the Lord said at the end of that passage, we read that God is a God who is gracious toward whom he's gracious, merciful toward whom he's merciful, and somehow he's chosen us. And we can rest in that confidence. But it's important too, as we're being established in the favor of God, that we also have a clear idea of the context of, that, of God's favor, the context in which God's favor operates. This is uh, Psalm 90, the first 11 verses. And this, this passage, this part of the psalm, tells us some key things about God and some key things about us as people. And if we forget the key things about God or we forget the key things about us as people, we will violate the favor of God. So we have to remember these things. So what does Moses tell us in this psalm? He tells us in verse 1 that God is a generational God. God is a generational God. God operates across lifetimes 
not just across weeks and months and years. And God's always been a generational God. And sometimes people have understood this, but oftentimes people have forgotten it. I thank God that my mom and dad knew this reality because my mom and dad lived so that my sister and I might thrive. They didn't do it for themselves. They didn't live for the easy life that they would get. They lived to make my life better. And because of that, if you've ever been blessed by me in your life, you owe part of that to my mother and father. God is a generational God. Here at City Temple, you know, this is not a church, thank God, that I founded. It's been in existence since 1640 at least. And over the generations, people in this church have proclaimed the good news about Jesus. And we are living through the favor that was upon people like Thomas Goodwin and people like Joseph Parker, Thomas Goodwin in the 1600s, Joseph Parker in the uh, 1800s, and others who were faithful before God because God is a generational God. And I serve City Temple not because I just want everybody that's been with me in City Temple to be blessed, although I do, but I serve City Temple because I want there to be another generation that comes behind me and others who are blessed by the Lord Jesus Christ in this church who don't even know my name, who maybe will look one day at a wooden board outside in the lobby and say, who is this Rodney guy? What a dorky name, Rodney. Who would name their child Rodney? Certainly not somebody that liked their kid. So God is a generational God. Moses also tells us that God is an everlasting God. That means he didn't have a beginning. He won't have an end. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God and you are not. He is the one who knows the end from the beginning and you don't. And so we have to remember that. And we have to remember that God is a sovereign God, verses 3 and 4. God is sovereign over time. With him, you know, a, a thousand years is like three hours in the night. And he's sovereign over humanity. I mean, we just come and gone, come and go so quickly. None of us live a thousand years. Our lives are so brief. They're so very brief. And God is sovereign. And so Moses reminds us of these things, but he also tells us some important things that we need to understand about ourselves if we are to be established in God's favor. First, in verses 5 to 6, he tells us that human life is transient by God's design. God did not design us to live in this world forever. In fact, the Bible tells us that when it comes time for us to live forever through faith in Jesus, that God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth to enable that to happen. 
Our life in this world is transient. Maybe 70 years and it's done. He also reminds us, verses 7 to 9, that human life is plagued with sin and iniquity, which deserves God's wrath. Sin is what we do intentionally. Iniquity is the wrongdoing we do because we're broken as human beings because of the power of sin. And Moses reminds us that our human life is plagued with sin and iniquity. Every single thing that we're seeing unfold right now in Ukraine is unfolding because of human sin and iniquity. Every sinful, everything that we've seen unfold, the wrongdoing, say in the Middle East, over the centuries, because of sin and iniquity. The brokenness, climate change, sin and iniquity. You can go thing after thing of things that are wrong in our world and you'll find that the source is human sin and iniquity. It's there and we have to understand that. That means that none of us deserve God's favor. We all deserve God's wrath. And so he's, he's saying, I mean, why this is important, he says, don't, don't think too highly of yourself and think that God's showing you favor because you're a good little boy or girl or you've been a good little church because that's not the case. And then he reminds us as well that human life, this is verses 10 and 11, human life is filled with trouble and brokenness. Our lives are full of trouble and brokenness. The brokenness that comes from our sin, from our iniquity. And so he's reminding us of who God is, and he's reminding us of our human condition so that we'll understand the context of God's favor. It's solely by God's grace, by God's mercy. We don't deserve it. We cannot earn it. And if we were left to our own devices, we would certainly spoil it. So we can have confidence with God's favor. We also understand now the context of God's favor. And now Moses goes on to talk to us about the continuation of God's favor. When God's favor is upon us, how do we continue that? How do we see it go on? Again, it's not by our works. It continues to be a work of God's grace. But there's a dynamic where we continue to live into it in order to be established in it. There are prayers and promises that come. And in going through these, there are several things I think the Lord is saying to us as a church specifically. First of all is the prayer, verse 12 and 13. Teach us to number our days that we may have a heart of wisdom and turn, O God, with comfort to your servants. So we got to number our days. You've got to understand your life is finite. I'm closer to the end now than I am to the beginning of my life, as are many. We don't know how long our life is going to be. So we've got to number our days so that we'll have wisdom in how we live and at the same time say, God, come, turn to us, give us comfort. And I think the Lord is saying, is speaking to us this, quote, I think the Lord is saying, you have a, a lot of living left to do. And it is too early 
too soon for you to give up on life. Your life is beautiful to me. Open your eyes wide and see the world I have created for you. Stop defining your life by your feelings. They are not the measure of your days. End quote. Then there's a second prayer slash promise. That's verse 14. It's this prayer. Satisfy us, Lord, in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad. We need to remember the morning is the time to renew your sense of the presence and favor of God. I used to not like mornings when I was younger. And I usually, I used to hate stories about these guys that get up at 4 a.m., to pray, you know, I thought, well, that's terrible. I don't like the people. Uh, and, and I don't do that, by the way. Thank, thank the Lord. But I do remember when the Lord first told me to get up at 6 a.m. and start praying for an hour a day. And boy, I complained about that. I complained about that for a long, long time. And now I, I try to spend at least two to three hours in the morning in prayer, first thing. Uh, and don't feel guilty about that. The point here is that the morning is going to be the time where the Lord will satisfy you with his love. So set aside time in your morning. Set aside time in your morning. Then there's a third thing, continuing in the favor of God. Make us glad for as many days and years as we have experienced affliction and evil. It's praying, you know, okay, God, if, you, if your favor is upon us, please don't let it all be trouble and difficulty. Let us see goodness. Let us see good things come. And I think the Lord is saying this to City Temple, quote, I will make you glad. City Temple shall have 21 years of prosperous growth and ministry in the city of London and beyond. And you, that's talking to me, you will see many sons rejoice. Close quote. There's a promise there when it comes through the favor of God. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us. And then verse 16, another prayer. Show your work to your servants and your glorious power to those who will come after them. That is, their children. And children here can be understood literally, but also metaphorically. It's a cry that, Lord, don't just be good to us, but be good to those who come after us. Don't just show us your favor, but show your favor to those who come after us. And I think the Lord is saying this to us, quote, I will show you my glory in the mighty work of my hands. Your sons shall see and know my power. But, big but, I will not tolerate their sin. Their sin shall consume them if they do not repent, but only they themselves shall be harmed. Close quote. That's a tremendous promise for us. Because I'm looking around the world and I see so many pastors falling away. And it destroys their churches. But here's a promise of favor upon City Temple. And then the last prayer there, going down at the end. Let the, your favor be upon us 
so that you establish the work of our hands. God, establish us. Establish what we do so that what we do, no matter what it is for you, lives on. That's the prayer. And I think the Lord is saying this to us, open quote, my great favor is upon you. I will establish the work of your hands as a memorial to me, close quote. So we have confidence that comes from God's favor. We can know the context of God's favor. We can see God, the continuation of God's favor on our lives and on this church. But how do we know? I mean, at the end of the day, how do you really know you have God's favor? How does any church really know it has God's favor? Well, we see there in Acts chapter 4, and there's a number of things we could talk about, any number of those things that are up in the first that we talked about with Moses. But in Acts chapter 4, the great grace of God was upon them. In other words, God's favor is upon the early church, the early Christians. And there were three things that were noted right there at the beginning of that passage that were indicators of God's favor. And whenever you see all three of these indicators, you need to suspect the favor of God. They're not absolute proof, but there are pretty good signs confirming God's favor. The first one is unity. They were all of one heart and soul. When the people of God are together, when they're united, when they're working together, cooperating with one another, it's an indicator of God's favor. I'm so thankful for here in City Temple how we see that. We see that our worship team, we see that with our, with our elders. We see that with the people in the life of the church. It's amazing to me the kinds of things that I've seen regarding unity. Then there's a second confirmation of God's favor, and that's generosity. Generosity. When the people of God are just naturally pouring out themselves to one another. In the time of the early church, a lot of the wealthier people who had property to spare, they'd go and they'd sell it, and they'd put it at the apostles' feet and say, hey, distribute this to anybody. It didn't mean that they were a commune where everybody gave up all their property, but it meant they put themselves at the disposal of other people. And whenever you see that kind of generosity, you're seeing an indicator of God's favor. Whenever you see people who are naturally generous in their own lives, that can be an indicator of God's favor upon them. And it's not about how much money you have. It's about what you do with the resources you have. And it's not about money alone. It's also about things like your attitude and how you approach other people. And there's a third sign. And there is a powerful testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus crucified and risen from the dead is a fundamental proclamation of any community that has God's favor upon it. Do you know there are churches in the United Kingdom today where you could go and you could go to the service and never once hear the name Jesus Christ mentioned? I remember a denominational gathering I went to in recent years 
where over the course of eight hours, I never heard Jesus talked about. I never heard his name mentioned, let alone that Jesus died on the cross and rose bodily from the dead. When the church is proclaiming the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, that is an indicator of God's favor on that people. And when you combine that kind of proclamation and along with generosity and along with unity, you have a pretty good confirmation that God's favor is in operation amongst those people. And that is the case, and may it always be the case for City Temple going forward. God's favor is upon us. God's favor is upon us. It's a mystery. It's an act of God's grace. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it, but we have it. God's favor is upon us. And when God's favor rests upon you, God establishes you in that favor. That means we must not rush. We need to stop striving. We can't get what God's already given to us. We certainly must not fret or wallow in anxiety in this season. And it's a very anxious world right now. We must not pull against God's yoke in our lives and where God is leading us, but instead we must rest in God's goodness and God's sovereignty. We are not established by our own efforts or skills. We are established by God's favor as a work of God's grace to the glory and praise of Jesus Christ. And that is the favor upon us now. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you and we honor you. We worship you and we adore you. And I pray, almighty God, that you would use the favor that you have put upon us individually and corporately to glorify Jesus. Use the favor that you have placed upon us individually and corporately to fulfill your purpose for our lives to bring honor and glory to Jesus. Use the favor that you have given to us and that rests upon us and that establishes us. Use that favor to allow us to bless the world around us and be agents of righteousness and kingdom advance in our city, in our world, in our businesses, in our communities, in our schools, in our clubs, in our associations. Wherever we are, wherever we go, we know that we go in your favor. And let us carry that upon our lives so that we live in that favor, not as a get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to troubles or turmoil, but as a way to bless the world, as a way to live for Jesus, as a way to be your people, the church you have called us to be. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you for the favor you've shown us, the favor you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen.